0: Hello, left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. We are building a community of investors who are interested in acquiring real assets that produce real cash flow. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go.
1: First and foremost, please don't shy away from asking any question. You're an expert in what you do, we're experts in what we do, and you're coming to us because of our expertise. So don't shy away from asking a question that you don't know the answer to and that you're unfamiliar with and that you're worried about my judging you because I will not do that. I'm here to help and educate and inform you so that you can make a well-informed, educated decisions.
0: Very excited to have Travis Smith, founder and CEO of TribeVest, which is an online platform that facilitates small group investing. Travis formed his first tribe with his brothers to try to grow their wealth through alternative investments. Helping others invest together became a passion of Travis's and TribeVest was born. And now he has hundreds of tribes investing millions of dollars into all types of assets and businesses. Travis, can you share some of the ways TribeVest helps build wealth for passive investors?
1: I go back to when my brothers and I were first thinking about forming our, our first investment tribe. Prior to that, we invested in our 401Ks and that's all we knew. But everybody we knew that was wealthy was invested in real estate or owned a business. And by us coming together to form an investor tribe, pulling our capital, put us in a position to invest in real estate, to start a business. TribeVest gives people the ability to come together and do more
0: than they would or could on their own. Can you tell us how listeners can get in touch with you? Absolutely. They can come to TribeVest.com. I love the origins of how TribeVest started with you and your brothers. Thanks for that, Travis. If you want to learn more about TribeVest, visit them at www.tribevest.com slash partners slash LF and get your first $50 deposited in your tribe's bank account.
2: You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast, powered by TribeVest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the Left Field community. This is Dan Hanford from PassiveInvesting.com, and
0: you're listening to Passive Investing from Left Field Podcast. I'm very pleased today to be joined by Tanya Mershendani. She's the Vice President of Capital Markets at Clear Capital. She has nearly 15 years experience in wealth management at Goldman Sachs, and she's been working in multifamily real estate management operations and acquisitions for almost five years, and she joined Clear Capital this year. So Tanya, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left
1: Field Podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So we usually start out this podcast kind of talking about your journey. I mentioned a little bit of your experience, but can you kind of tell us your financial journey from when you started to going through Goldman Sachs, and then how you got into real estate, and, and how you got to where you are now?
1: Sure. How much time do you have, Jim? <laughs>
0: <laughs> we have all the debt time in the world.
1: So I had the good fortune of being exposed to real estate by my family at a young age. So my parents are first-generation immigrants who moved here from India. They started in Canada. That's actually where I was born. And then we were on the East Coast. And when we came to the West Coast in California, my parents actually started their own real estate development business. So my father's an IIT engineer. When you compare that to the US, it's the Ivy League of India. And then he did an MBA in Toronto. And my mother's a professional as well. She's an architect. In fact, It was a prerequisite for my father to get a higher degree to be able to marry my mother since she was had a higher degree. So my grandma required that. (laughs) So now so they started this real estate development company and this was in call it eighty-five, late eighties. And that's when I was first exposed to real estate. They were constructing mostly single family homes. And we actually had the pleasure of living in one. And so I was very used to keeping the home a model home. I wasn't allowed to put anything on the walls because the home had to be ready for sale at any given point in time. And so, and I also had the benefit of working with my family at a young age. And I remember rent checks would come in and you know, my dad would teach me how to deposit things. And so I really had exposure at a very young age and I'm super grateful to my family for that. I, of course, post-undergrad, Pursued something different. You know, I went, I went into wealth management at Goldman Sachs first as an analyst and then post my MBA at UCLA and, and wealth advisor. And I had the opportunity to work with a firm in San Francisco, New York, and LA. And it was a great experience. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And what wealth management allows you to do is to build your own business within a larger company where. The company is taking a bet on you and your ability to build relationships, develop them, manage them, oversee them. And I really, it was a tremendous experience. And I love the relationships I built, the people that I got to know, and the people that I helped over the years. Through that experience, I then learned that the hardest part about it was just not being able to control at the end of the day what I was earning and making for a living. And the reason that was the case is because the markets. I was paid on commission and the markets are truly their own animal, as we all know, and they're, they're volatile up and down. And it doesn't sometimes it doesn't make sense why the market is doing what it's doing. And I and I found that to be really challenging, having gone through the tech bubble, the financial crisis, and the pandemic later on. But what I realized is I wanted to be a part of something tangible and a part of something that I could touch and feel and see and have somewhat of an impact on. And in chatting with my father about this, he said, look, we need to grow. We could use your help. Come and join the family business and see what this is all about. And so over the years, the trans the family transitioned from development into actually investing in multifamily assets. So I joined the family in fall of 16 and and really enjoyed it. Just loved the loved the deal, loved the deal process. The identifying the property, the underwriting of the property, pursuing the deal and bringing together the lender, the equity side, and then the full transaction, actually going into escrow and acquiring the property, closing on the property. And then from there, the management. And I really had the pleasure of seeing that with family from start to finish. And I also love knowing about one thing Really deeply versus knowing about a lot on the surface. That's been a pleasure to develop that expertise and that knowledge base. So my parents and my family business and my sister, everyone gave, gave me a great introduction to multifamily real estate. As you mentioned, I had the opportunity of doing third party property management there. We actually started managing properties for others while I was there, also growing our investor base and acquiring properties. And then from there, the pandemic hit. <laughs> So it was kind of crazy. I had moved to the Bay Area with my three little kiddos, living with my parents right next door to my sister. It was a beautiful situation, working in the family business. The only tough part was my husband was still in LA. And for nine months, we commuted back and forth. And But once the pandemic hit, due to the, my family situation, just from a health standpoint, I needed to not be living in the home anymore. And the best option was to come back to LA. Which made my husband very happy. Hard for me, though, admittedly, having been with family for so long and really loving living there, being with them, being in the yeah. business, just the whole kit and caboodle. And anyway, so we returned to LA and I still worked from a distance. And eventually a decision had to be made Was I going back? Was I staying? And I always thought I was going back. But my husband said, Look, could you stay? And as a wife, as a mother, I said, Okay. And so then that led to the next phase of my career, which is, oh, now I'm going to need to find a new gig because family business is in the Bay Area, not in Southern California. And at that point in time, I reached out to everyone and anyone I knew in real estate, one being Eric Sussman, the founding partner of Clear Capital, who I've had the good fortune of staying in touch with since I graduated. Met Eric at business school, phenomenal teacher, incredible individual, And very, very savvy businessman. So stayed in touch with him, reconnected. He said, Oh, Tony, do you want to move out of state? I said, Absolutely not. I want to stay in Southern California. And then he called me back a little bit later and said, Actually, could you help me out? We are growing here at Clear Capital. And I could use a right hand person for one of my main responsibilities at the firm, which is fundraising and developing relationships. And I said, Wow, okay. So that is totally up my alley. And so just spent some time with Eric and his other partners developing that relationship. And here we are today. I've had the good fortune of working with them full time from earlier this year. And it's been awesome.
0: That's great. It's nice to find some place and well, first a job that you like in real estate or an in industry and then to find a family job must have been really great. And then at least now you're still in a place where you're happy and you, you, found, you kind of found your people again, it sounds like and just for the listeners Eric Sussman was a guest on episode 21 if they want to check that out he uh, he likes to talk about the economy and that was a that was a really fantastic episode so thanks for for that so i want to go back to your your family was in real estate still is so you grew up with that and then you got into wealth management so i'm a former financial advisor but i didn't have real estate as as a beginning my father was he was into, the, into finance, but it was more of the stock market and, and things like that. So I was always a stock market guy. As soon as I became a financial advisor, I really started learning about money. And the more I learned, the more I found out that I didn't really believe in all of the products I was selling anymore, because I'd learned enough that I, I thought, oh, real estate is the way to go. So my question for you is knowing a little bit of real estate and then going to work as a wealth advisor, did you want to advise your clients to invest in real estate or what was your what was your thoughts there if you were because when you're when you're an advisor you kind of have to sell what products are available to sell and there isn't really a place for real estate was that a conflict for you
1: Not really Jim I would say that in those early years I was quite young when I was exposed to real estate pre-college so I hadn't really thought about career and what was next. It was really just what I was surrounded by. And I did work in the family business as a young person. I think for me in wealth management, it was, it's all about diversification and the benefits of diversification. So our portfolios, similar to I'm sure the clients that you worked with consisted of not only equities, but fixed income. And then there was always this alternatives bucket. So in the alternatives bucket, that's where private equity real estate had a piece in the portfolio without a doubt. And but most of what we did was diversified private equity real estate funds. Whereas here it's we're investing at Clear Capital, it's deal by deal and even even with my family's business and and that those are two very different things. And I think what's most important going forward as I'm looking at investment opportunities for clients in their portfolios is the is diversification because private equity real estate has a zero correlation more or less right to the public equity markets and then not only investing in real estate as multifamily as a way to diversify your portfolio but then within multifamily investing in different locations as another way to diversify i think that's probably what i've learned the most from the wealth management experience and then now the the real estate experience
0: so at goldman it seems like you at least had an avenue to access the alternative investments where i think in my the company I was working for, we didn't have that, so that's where the the disconnect for me was, is I didn't have an avenue to put them into real estate. At least you could fill out their diversification by having that real estate exposure. That's right. So, when you're talking to investors now in in your new role, do you talk to them about their, you know, how the clear capital syndications they're looking at, how that fits into their overall financial situation? Are you having those conversations of saying? Hey, this, this will help you diversify. And, and how does that conversation go?
1: No, definitely. In fact, once we get started in the conversation, a lot of people that come to us are brand new at investing in private equity real estate. So to me, it's critically important to be educating the investor. I want everyone who invests with us to know what they're investing in, inside and out. That is so important to me. So I really spend the time, myself and my team, on educating the investor. And we do that in different ways. So first and foremost, I'll try to understand what the current portfolio looks like. Is it stock market, right? Equities, fixed income. Is it that coupled with perhaps your own home and some other real estate investments? Like basically, what does the current portfolio look like, right? In terms of liquid and illiquid assets. Then I asked the question of when you're thinking about your portfolio and adding private equity real estate, let's say it's brand new, what is the target allocation for private equity real estate in your in the portfolio? And a lot of times people hasn't, haven't necessarily thought about that, but I really want our investors to think strategically and think big picture and step back and say, okay, I have this pool of assets, this pool of monies. I have this much in the equity and the fixed income markets which are liquid. Okay, what portion am I comfortable having in an illiquid asset like real estate? And in two ways, you have to think about it overall from a strategic like a target standpoint and then near term, short so short term, what is my desire this year and then how am I going to get to that target over time? I think that's a very I think that's very important and not that many people take the time to think that through. But I do think that's important. And then you you set that in place, but you also need to reassess it. It's just the same way as you manage your equity portfolio, right? Your equity and your fixed income portfolio. I think everyone should look at that quarterly. You set a target, then you look at it quarterly to see if you're off your target and then you rebalance. And that's the same thing that somebody should be doing with respect to their private equity portfolio. And I think it's
0: really helpful that you, When you're talking to especially new investors that you explain illiquidity actually of these investments because there really isn't a whole lot that is less liquid than a syndication right because if you buy real estate and you're an active investor if something happens you can always sell it but once we invest in a syndication it's very hard if not impossible to get out of that until the syndicator the operator decides to sell that asset so i think counseling the people that you're talking to that hey, this is, is really illiquid is is a great a great thing to do. So you, you say you deal with a lot of new investors. So yep. what kind of mistakes do you see or or what what kind of problems, maybe false assumptions do they make when they're getting into their first syndication? Or what kind of questions are they asking? How are you kind of helping educate them what is a syndication and what am I doing here? Because I we, we have a lot of new investors in left field also. And that's kind of the, the initial thing is, well, I don't even know what to say to a syndicator. So what do you see as far as mistakes that passives might make? And also, what kind of questions would you encourage them to ask? So I guess that's kind of two separate questions for you.
1: Sure. So maybe I'll start with the second question, which is what what questions do I think are important to ask? I think first and foremost, please don't shy away from asking any question. That to me is incredibly important for a new investor to understand. I don't want anyone who comes to me to think, oh, no, no, that's a, I won't even say it, but a D-U-M-B question. So I'm not going to ask it. Like I always preface with, look, like you're an expert in what you do. We're experts in what we do. And you're coming to us because of our expertise. So don't shy away from asking a question that you don't know the answer to and that you're unfamiliar with, and that you're worried about my judging you because I will not do that. I'm like, I'm here to help and educate and inform you so that you can make a well-informed, educated decision. So please don't shy away. I'll just say that. (laughs) It's just to preface it. And in terms of good questions, so I think it's really important to understand the group you're investing with, right? So do they have a track record of investing? What does that track record look like? how long is the track record? It's not just about the numbers in their, that they're throwing on the, on the wall, but it's also about how long they've been in the business. Have they been through up markets, down markets, through that time? Have they continued to be able to make money? How have they weathered these storms? That's definitely important. And of course, the performance. That's important too. You definitely want to see that they've been making money. Do they put their money where their mouth is? right? How much money does the syndicator themselves put in? Our guys put in, you know, five to 10% of the equity on the deal, sometimes even more than that. I think that's incredibly important. You want to see if the employees are also investing and if they have an opportunity to invest. I think that's, that's valuable to know. Other good questions would be what the investor base looks like and has it been growing over the years, right? Since I joined, we've gone from 335 investors just earlier this year to 390. And that's good. That's good, strong growth. And you you want to see that there is an interest and investors are coming in the door and continuing to, to support. And that's actually another good point. It's not only how many investors, but how long have they been with you? And what's the repeat investment? What's their average investment? So so get into the granular not just like the surface of how many investors what else so i also think that it's important to think about the strategy so for us we're 100% focused on i would say majority focused on value add we know it we live it we breathe it we love it <laughs> like that's important i know a lot of companies have a diversified approach and and that's important from a portfolio standpoint but you want to be with a group that knows what they're doing and they know it in and out. And by focusing on a certain type of real estate, you really can develop that expertise. I think that that's, that's critical.
0: Hey, left fielders. This is Julian McClurkin from Tribe Vest. I recently had the pleasure of sitting down with Jim Pfeiffer for a masterclass. I learned so much from passive investing to real estate syndications, to how you can diversify your portfolio with a tribe. I also learned how this form of passive investing was only available to the wealthy. Until recently. If I learned a lot, you will too. Go to leftfieldinvestors.com and check out the masterclass button at the top. Or look up TribeVest on YouTube. I'll see you there. And how does the the new investor know if, if you if you have that critical expertise are you just saying that ask questions that see if the syndicator has a focus or it, how, how do i find that out when that this is part of it for a new investor or even an experienced investor you know i might talk to you for 30 or 45 minutes before you know the, the next time i talk is i'm sending you money so how do i get the confidence that that you or clear capital or whatever the syndicator is is the right firm for me and has that that focus and that experience
1: sure i would ask for case studies I would ask for prior deals and ask someone to walk you through it. So just to give a few examples of how the deal worked and how the opportunity was identified, what transpired, and maybe ask for a good one and a not so good one to get a sense of both experiences, both great and not as good.
0: Sorry, and and to see if the syndicator will actually send you some of their, (laughs) their bad ones, right? Because you want someone who's going to be transparent who is actually going to admit that, yeah, not every deal is, is perfect and not every deal works out exactly like you think it would, right?
1: Right. No, definitely. Look, and historically, we've never lost anyone any money, but there definitely have been some deals that have performed better than others. And that's just, that's just life. So the other thing, and I mean, you didn't ask this question, but I'm just going to throw this in here. Trust and confidence in who you're working with is everything. Look how many situations have transpired over the years where people have been taken advantage of. That bugs me. I think that is the worst thing you could ever do for someone. They come to you, they're trusting you, they're giving you their well-earned money, and then you mistreat it, you misuse it. That's absolutely unacceptable. I mean, to me, as an advisor, wealth advisor, real estate advisor, it's of the utmost importance that I'm taking someone's money and I'm doing the best for that person on behalf of that person to do what I set out to do, to do what we set out to do. And what we set out to do is make you money. I mean, that's the goal, right? We want to make you money and we want to make money right alongside you. And that is that's critically important. And so for us to be able to do that and we have to stick to our knittings, right? We have to We have to do our underwriting. We have to be consistent about it. We've got to modify it, change it along the way, but only in a way that's constructive and efficient and not reacting, right? Like right now, the markets are tough. It is so, so tough to find a good deal, Jim. It's really hard. Yeah. But we're not changing our underwriting to make a deal work. Absolutely not. Enrique Huerta, our VP of acquisitions, will tell you, we just keep underwriting. We underwrite a lot. I mean, we underwrite like 2,500 deals before we come up with the pool of deals that we're ready to invest in. So we throw out a lot, a lot of frogs, but we're really careful about what we do look at and what we do end up investing in. And we make sure we're underwriting consistently and constantly and revising and editing, but not changing to the point where we're just trying to make the numbers work. Because let me tell you, it's super easy to do that with underwriting, but we are not going to do that.
0: Yeah, it is. That's for sure. And that's what, as a passive investor, that's what you have to be on the lookout for. Right, now, You mentioned trust and confidence. So aside from looking for experience and all the other things you said you're looking for in a sponsor, that, that you can provide me with information, I can look at it and verify. But how do I as, a, as an investor with Clear Capital or, again, whatever syndicator, how do I get to the trust and, and confidence and the know, like, and trust? How do we get there? What, what's yeah. your recommendation, questions you can ask or things you can do as a passive investor to gain trust and confidence in a sponsor?
1: Well, take your group, Jim, right? Left-field investors. You, on behalf of your investors, take the time to get to know the sponsor and ask some really detailed <laughs> questions. <laughs> And you ask a lot of them and and over and over again. And so very true. But that then develops your confidence in us because we're answering deeply, transparently, quickly. And then you share that with your people. And you got introduced to us from somebody else who had known about us, heard about us. So this just gets to the point of referral, right, is and word of mouth. Those are two incredibly powerful thing. So if you're able to get into a syndicator through a referral or through word of mouth, I do think that that's, and, or through a current investor, though, that's very helpful, right? I definitely think that's incredibly helpful.
0: I can't agree more with that because, you know, as we've grown as left field investors, I've really found out that, you know, there's some syndicators who have podcasts and, and, and advertise and do all that stuff. And that's great. They, they may be awesome syndicators and awesome podcasters but if you can get someone who's already invested with them or already has a relationship and you know like and trust that person then that can transfer to the syndicator and i've just seen it over and over again the the most comfortable i felt in deals are the ones where it's coming from somebody that has already had an experience with them yeah. and so that's the purpose of community right the community we're building in left field investors that's the whole purpose is so that people can come in and say Hey, I'm looking at this syndicator. What do you think? And we can say, oh, well, we've had some experience, and yeah, we we think they do a great job. That's just so powerful, and I so I, I really think that you you nailed it. That's exactly um, what we look for as well is just referral, use your community, and that's how you find someone that you can transfer that trust to.
1: Yeah, I think that that's huge, and I think you hit the nail on the head with the group that you've created, and and we're very grateful at Clear Capital for the the people that you've brought our way, and and I do hope that that continues to you know pay forward where we can help you and and you can help us. I do think that that's a valuable there's a valuable opportunity there for sure. The other thing I would say is look at the look at the founding partners of the organization and look at their look at their bios, right? Look at their track record. Look at where they've worked previously. Look at what they're currently doing. So take Eric, right? He's not only the founding one of the founding partners at Clear Capital, but he's also a professor at UCLA Anderson. And he has been for years, I mean, like 25 years. And here he is. If he he wasn't good at that, he wouldn't be there any longer, right? But he's obviously tremendously incredible at what he does to the point where, Jim, so many Anderson alumni are investors. And let me tell you, that is not because Eric is a sales guy in his class. Absolutely not. Because I was in his class and I don't even—I knew we talked about his deals, but that was for our benefit, so we could see the underwriting. I mean, literally, opens the kimono. He's like, "Here's the model. Here's the deal we're working on." I mean, how amazing is that? Like, who does that? And then from there, if when people graduate, people come back, and literally, Jim, I have people tell me, and I have to tell you, it's so incredible to hear this from people, but they'll say, "Tanya, if Eric is, believes in this investment, I'm there." blindly, wholeheartedly, no questions asked. And I'm, I'm almost like, oh my God, I'm like, that's awesome. Because look, even in my prior company at Goldman Sachs, a big brand name, I never heard that once, but I've heard it here multiple times. It's a testament to who Eric is as a person. It's a testament to who Eric is as a teacher and a professor and to who he is as a business person. And so, so what I'm saying is for people who are looking at new syndicators to invest with, look at the people who are at the helm, look at the people who are supporting those people, look at their bios, see if you know other people who know them, try to make connections and do it like it's an interview process, right? Like you want to, you want to get to know the people who you're entrusting your money with. And and so you can be confident.
0: That's great, great input. And you know, when uh, I interviewed Eric, that was one of the things we talked about a little bit was reputational the the um the reputational defense or you know you have to defend your reputation and having someone who's a professor at a at a major college you know he's not going to do something that's going to jeopardize that or we talked about investing with syndicators that are maybe former police officers or or just positions of trust right university personnel sure in current or former positions of trust it just gives you one more thing. That doesn't mean they're not going to run away with your money. So don't just rely on that. But if you add that in to all the other stuff that you said, right, that you through your network, use your community, know, like, and trust, look at their bios, find out about the founders. And then also, okay, are they in positions of of authority where, you know, they need to hold on to their their quality reputations? All of that together is what gives you a good analysis of, okay, now I think I can, I can know, like, and trust the sponsor. And now I'm ready to invest in the deal. Yep. Agreed. So what's the process then when when a new deal comes up? I know you uh you referenced my plethora of questions <laughs> and I do ask a lot of questions and I you know I demand a lot from the syndicators because my philosophy is if you're not going to answer my questions before I give you money or if you're not going to communicate with me in a timely fashion before I give you money, what are you going to do after you have my money? Right? You're you're going to be even worse. That's my philosophy, I guess. So What happens next? So now I I know, like, and trust clear capital, whatever syndicator. Now I want to invest. Can you kind of talk us through, especially since you said you have so many new people, how do you get to the deal and, and what's that process like?
1: Sure. So we, what's really nice about our process is that we have a great software company that we work with. And so through, it's called Juniper Square. And so through that, we're really able to disseminate information to our potential investors in a seamless and very thorough, detailed way. So every potential investor will get invited to a personalized data room. And then that data room has detailed information about the deal, including photos of the property, including a video of the property, and then an overview of the investment opportunity. So you can get as deep Down as you want to, or you can stay on the surface. However, you prefer. Look, some people are good with an executive two-page summary and knowing what the cash-on-cash potential is, and what the equity multiple looks like, and what the IRR projections are. Some want to get are super sophisticated and love the information and the knowledge and want to get deep. So, here's the 30-page property overview read the ppm like you know check out the operating agreement look we 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 cover both and 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 I'm not saying one is right one is wrong everyone knows what works for them right and and what what how they want to pursue an investment opportunity and what they need to educate themselves and it's all about the investor being comfortable so we so we provide it all and and you have your choice to Take the information as you will. We always have a webinar for all of our new investment opportunities. The webinar consists of an overview of the company, an overview of the deal, and then we get into the details on the location and the property business plan. And then we talk about the asset management plan in specific. So from an interior renovation, exterior renovation, addition of amenities, and then what what from all of that? what's the rental lift? Because frankly, that's what determines valuation in a multifamily deal, right? It's the, it's the rental lift potential from the renovation and then the organic growth. That's at the end of the day, the game in multifamily. It's all about rents because rents determine the overall valuation of a multifamily property rent and obviously rent growth. So, and here I am going on a tangent from what you originally asked me.
0: (laughs) No, it's great.
1: It's great. But, yeah. So the webinar, you can watch the recording if you're not able to join us live. And then all the documents, the subscription documents are all there as well. Everyone does need to verify their accreditation. You just, we have, there's a detailed description on how to do that. You upload your documents to our investor portal. And that lasts for like 18 to 24 months before we ask you to do it again. Because look, life happens, things change. So we do need that updated Absolutely. every now and then, but it's super seamless. I mean, from a documentation standpoint, I have to say, I, I'm an investor as well. And the documents are so easy. It can be done so quickly. And I know we all don't have time and it's like, how do you make time? But it's not, it's really not that hard. It's been done and crafted very, very succinctly and precisely. So it makes it easy.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. I invest in a lot of different syndicators and the process with you guys was, was pretty, uh, pretty seamless. So I do appreciate that. So you mentioned a couple of, um, things like IRR and some other deal metrics. Can you talk about maybe two or three specific metrics that you really look at when evaluating a deal or even like things that would say, well, if it's not this, I'm not going to invest in it or, you know, like red flags on on different metrics.
1: You asked about this earlier and I didn't answer like the mistakes sometimes I feel like an investor makes and this is relevant here. The numbers are important. Okay, don't get me wrong right? You definitely want to make sure the numbers hit a certain benchmark for you, right? Our benchmark is call it nine to 12% for IRR for the investor cash on cash of around 5% and an equity multiple of at least 1.65 times. So for me, if, if you hit that level at, the, at a bare minimum, I would be comfortable with that. The mistake I feel like some investors make is they'll look at, let's say they'll look at just the IRR and they'll say, oh, that's too low. I'm not going to invest. I think that that's not smart only because there's more, the number is a number. Again, go back to what we said about the underwriting. We underwrite to show our investors what we think the outcome is based on estimations. Jim, it's all estimation, right? I don't, who knows what's going to happen, but I'm just giving you a sense of what I think might happen at this given point in time based on assumptions. And so I think at a bare minimum, if, if we are hitting with these investor metrics, the nine to, again, the nine to 12% net IRR to you, the 5% cash on cash, and then the (laughs) 1.65 equity multiple that someone can be comfortable and not kind of make a decision even at that level saying that's too low because historically our returns have been much higher than that. We've got a 26% net IRR since 2011. Since inception, which was pre-2000, we have an ROI of 20%. So therein, in you see that even if these are the IRRs we're projecting and estimating that the outperformance is a potential. So that's important. I think that I I like I like I like the equity multiple. It's a very easy one, right? Jim, you give me 100k, in 5 years I'll give you 162,000. 1.62 times your money. So it's a really kind of simple easy way to think about it and it's nice and easy to digest. People are very focused on IRR and I don't know, I think it's so much easier to understand The equity multiple, because it's literally, you give me a buck, I'll give you a buck 62. Wouldn't you take that all day long? To me, that's a no brainer.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, your kind of basic pro forma numbers are pretty conservative, especially given how you've outperformed them. So I guess my question is, and I know we're running short on time, but my question is, how do you compete with an investor who might be looking at your deal and somebody else's deal? where there's a lot of other syndicators who are saying 15 to 20% IRR, 2.0 multiples and 7 to 8% cash on cash and you've you historically have probably achieved those numbers but you are underwriting to a much lower level. So how do you how do you compete or how do you explain that to investors?
1: Look, Jim, I would much rather underpromise and overdeliver than anything else. I mean, to me, the worst outcome would be to report these gangbuster numbers that you're talking about and not be able to achieve that. That, to me, would be a failure. And that's the last thing I want to do, right? To me, we want to outperform and set ourselves up for success, not only us, but you, the investor. And so I prefer and we prefer as a team this approach. Look... Jim go back to what we were talking about earlier. I can make my underwriting show those numbers too. Definitely. But we're not going to do that. Our acquisitions team, our team at Pure Capital, we're we're going to underwrite to what we think is reasonable given the environment that we're in. I mean, that's something else that's really important to consider. Look at what's happened in the real estate market since 2008. That has to be considered going forward. Investors still I think have unreasonable expectations. And it's important to. I always tell people, look, don't necessarily think you're going to be getting these high double digit returns going on a go forward basis. You might, and that would be awesome. But look, even if you were to get call it a ten, call it eleven, IRR in in a in an investment, that's great compared to what else is out there, right? I mean, look at where the tenure is. Look at what you're getting in the bank. And think about that. Think about where else you would put your money. And this is something where you're going to get quarterly reporting. You can, you want to go see the asset? You can go see it. You can touch it. You can feel it. You can know what you're invested in. So I find comfort in, in this type of investing and am enjoying continuing to add to the portfolio. I mean, prior to this, I was only in California. And now my husband and I and our family have the opportunity to invest outside, which I think is incredibly attractive.
0: Yeah, no, I think I think you nailed it there. That's um, that's that's a really good answer because I think it all it all ties it all together, right? If you are investing with a sponsor that you know, like and trust, who has a track record, and you've researched them and you understand their track record, and you see their performas, and their performas are under under promising and are likely to over deliver, I think that's that's a much better prospect than somewhere else. So I think it all comes down to figuring out how you get to the place where you trust a sponsor, them and their experience. And then, you know, the numbers are what the numbers are, as you said, it's just math. So, and as you said, anyone can make numbers that look fantastic. It's in retrospect, can you perform at that level? That's important.
1: That's everything.
0: Yeah, that is everything. You're absolutely right. So the last question I usually ask is what's a great podcast that you listen to? I know Clear Capital has their own podcast of Focus on Facts. So I'll certainly put that in there. But other than that, if you're a podcast listener, what are some of your favorites?
1: Yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't say focus on facts. (laughs) I think I'd receive a, a phone call from Eric. Exactly. You know, it's interesting. I'm more into things that aren't necessarily related to what I do professionally, but I like Oprah Winfrey's her, she's got one on soul, and I really like that. I do think there's so many areas for education, and enhancing one's knowledge on certain topics, and however you choose to do it. There's just so much information out there. It's how do you consume it. In fact, we're talking to Eric about creating something like more of a weekly podcast. I and mean, Eric, we want him to do more. And it's hard when you're scripting a podcast. It's so hard, as you know, Jim, having done these yourself. So Eric, we're going to start doing something literally where it's like a weekly podcast where he's going to talk about the news articles that he's read and which ones he liked the best and why and share his views on news stories, which I think is so relevant. I really enjoy knowing what's happening in the world and getting a summary and highlights from different resources because that are basically bringing those together for me versus me having to go to a bunch of different places, just giving, giving out life, how busy life is as a mother, a professional and, uh, just a busy woman, so yeah. So let's stay tuned for that. Hopefully, that'll be coming your way soon.
0: Uh, I will. We had, as you know, we had Eric on our one of our monthly meetings, and um, that was one of our most popular because he just has so much information, and he uh, puts it out in a very interesting way. So when that podcast comes out, let me know, and I'll definitely uh, share that with our community thank you very much for being here today. It was fantastic. As usual, we went a little bit over the uh, the 30 minutes, but the conversation was great. And so we just uh, kept on going. But thank you very much for being here. Can you tell me how listeners can get in touch with you if they're interested in Clear Capital or anything that you've talked about today?
1: Oh, of course, Jim. Thanks so much for that. And thank you for taking the time and your continuous support of us at Clear Capital. So our website is a great and easy way, which is just clearcapllc.com. And I, of course, can be reached via email at Tanya, T-A-N-I-A, at clearcapllc.com. Yeah, those would both be great ways to get in touch.
0: Great. Well, thanks again for being here. It was a pleasure.
1: Thank you, Jim. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Really appreciate your continued support. Thank you.
0: It was a pleasure talking to Tanya. I, I enjoyed the conversation. It's always interesting to talk to someone who has experience as a wealth manager or financial advisor because that's some of my history as well. And just watching and hearing about the transition from managing the whole person's wealth to just concentrating on real estate and finding out that, hey, real estate might be a better place to put your money than the paper assets. So that's always an interesting conversation for me. I also really enjoyed hearing the importance of trust transfer that she talked about, whether it's through a network or through a friend to help you vet a sponsor. Because if you know, like, and trust somebody and they've invested with a sponsor that they know, like, and trust, we always talk about how that's transferable. And to hear that again and the interesting way that she said that was something pretty powerful for me. And that's something that we continue to do in our network is find new sponsors that are referred to us by others because that's how you transfer the trust. I also like how she talked about asking questions, you know, there's no dumb question. We hear that all the time. But I also know that a lot of our newer investors are intimidated when they call up a sponsor for the first time because they're afraid they're going to ask the wrong question or the dumb question. And Tanya said it very well. There's no dumb questions, obviously. But her role and the role of any advisor in this situation at a sponsor is to make you comfortable with them and then with the investment. and Clear Capital does a good job at that, and and Tanya explained it pretty well, I think. So I'm definitely going to keep in touch with Clear Capital and Tanya and also Eric, who she referenced, because I think they're a quality outfit, and I enjoy talking to them. Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email jim at leftfieldinvestors.com
2: Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Leftfield Podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.